Well, good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. Are you doing all right today? I am not. I just wanted to share that with you. I'm sick this morning, and so make sure you come up, give me a big hug, and uh, lots of handshakes afterwards. So, But I just want to tell you, I'm on a little drugs, and let me just say, I love drugs. I just wanted to say that to you and share that with you. Don't believe all the hype. Drugs are awesome. Uh, you need them, and I'm taking some right now. So uh, so no matter what I say this morning, I'm going to blame it on a drug-induced haze, uh, but um, but it'll get me through. Not all drugs are good, so but you know these 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 are making me happy. So, but I'm glad you're here. I'm going to look at Colossians chapter one. Our theme verse, Colossians chapter one, verse six. Colossians one six. You can see it on the screen. Uh, the, the the as they put the conference together, this missions fest together. The theme was built around Colossians one six in the uh, NLT, the New Living Translation, which I'm going to read it in and use throughout. But the verses I'm actually going to use, we're going to use from your, uh, your seat Bibles, uh, from the New International Version, so we'll follow those along as well. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 6 is our passage. So let's take a look at it on the screen. Would you mind reading it out loud with me? Let's read it together, okay? It's on the screen. Let's read it together. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And that passage is a powerful passage that both speaks to the Wheaton Bible situation, right? As a church, you received the gospel and then the gospel would go out from this church, but also individually from our situation. As followers of Jesus, we've received the gospel and the gospel has then gone forth from our, from our mouths and, 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 and the implications lived out in our lives. And, and so, so it's, but the whole point of here is the, the book of Colossians is actually written by Paul to the church of the Colossians who were sort of struggling uh, with some, some outside teaching. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but some outside teaching that they needed something more than Jesus. They didn't realize the, the treasure that they had in Christ. And so Colossians, the, the epistle to the Colossians points to some of that treasure. And people often miss treasure, and we sort of like it when people rediscover treasure. Um, I like to watch the show, maybe you do as well, called American Pickers. American Pickers. Um, it's, have you ever seen the show? The basic gist is there's two guys, uh, Mike and Frank, and they kind of travel the back roads of the United States buying antiques and collectibles and kind of bits of Americana artifacts. And, um, and they actually have a little shop where I live. I live in Nashville now, and, and where they sell a lot of the items that they've picked and other places as well. And it's one of those shows that you sort of watch, and you maybe, maybe over a long weekend, you just sort of watch a little marathon of it. And there's a couple of things that amaze me about the show. First is how much knowledge Mike and Frank have about old signs and toys and all the stuff that they, they buy. It's kind of crazy. But the other thing that, that amazes me about the show is, they, is how, much, how much seemingly meaningless junk can actually be worth. I mean, there's, I mean, just stuff that's like, this is just garbage to be thrown away, and it's worth all this money. And people don't realize the treasures that they have. So watching this, recently my wife, um, she went and decided to do a garage sale. Donna decided to do a garage sale. And, and I'm, I've been watching too much American Pickers, I guess, because I'm thinking there could be like something worth a lot of money in the garage, garage sale junk that we're selling. And as she points out to me, no, no, it's not. We haven't been living here that long. There's nothing famous or old, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes we, we become accustomed to things and we miss the treasure that they really are. And I think that the, that's part of what's going on in the book of Colossians today. The Colossian church was a first century church, the city of Colossae, that had been started by a man named Epaphras. And he, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, and while Paul was in the city of Ephesus ministering to that church that he planted there, Epaphras traveled to Colossae and he planted another church. And the Apostle Paul, who writes this letter, to our knowledge, never actually met the Colossians, and they never met him. 
but they knew about each other. But after these churches were established and Paul was in Rome under house arrest, the news had come to him that the church of the Colossians was kind of having some false teachers stir up trouble. So he writes the book to the Colossians to encourage, to strengthen, to warn the church that they don't need another message. They don't need another Messiah. The gospel of Jesus is all that they need, and, and it's all that they, they ever need. In, in fact, just like, just like, well, just like maybe the American Pickers, the, what the Colossian Christians already had, Jesus, was worth more than they ever, ever could have imagined. They just sometimes were forgetting. We're going to look today at verse 6 here in particular, but I think it might be helpful for us to take just a moment and read more than verse 6 and get the kind of the whole picture and the whole context of what's going on here. And I'm going to read, so if you have your, if you have your, your Bible, your seat Bible there, you can turn to uh, page 1,165. And let me just read the whole passage to kind of set it up just a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, says this, and I'm just reading right from the Bible you have there in your seats. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, page 1165, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for the saints, the faith and love that spring up from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, and you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, my dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister in Christ on our behalf, who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Well, today, as we look at verse 6 in particular, we're going to see just how wonderful this, this, uh, this gospel message is. And I want us to examine the gospel again, to think deeply on the gospel again, so we might understand why it matters so much. So, so as we go through our outline, the first thing I just want us to see, you can't miss it in this passage, is the gospel. Paul's reminding, kind of restating the gospel in its beauty and its glory to the church, to the Colossians. And, and he does so with this simple phrase. It says, this same good news. This same good news. And so, so Paul speaks about the same good news that, that had been in Ephesus where he was or had been in Rome where he was in prison. This, this same good news. That's how the, the NLT translated. Other translations say this, this gospel. This gospel. And, and they say, why do, why do some say gospel? Why don't say good news? Because gospel means good news. Gospel means, by its very core definition, euangelion in the original language, it means good news. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, as you thought about Christianity, has always been in terms of good news? Is that your habitual way of thinking it? If it isn't, then you're thinking wrong. If you've thought about Christianity as a very hard task that's put before us, a moral life we've got to live, an ethical program to follow, something that demands great sacrifices, imposes a great duty on us, if that's your view of it, well, of course there's no good news about it, and you're already wrong. It's a gospel, and gospel means equals good news. So Paul's actually reminding the church at Colossae that, this is, that the message they heard is, in fact, the true gospel. It's the, it's the gospel truth. Now, it's interesting that people even use that phrase today, the gospel truth. I remember when I was a kid growing up in an unchurched home on Long Island outside of New York City. We didn't go to church. We didn't think of ourselves as religious people. But if we got in trouble, I would swear on the Bible, and I would say, that's the gospel truth. And people still they say, that's the gospel truth, because the gospel's always been associated rightly with truth. So the, the, so the truth of the gospel needs to be restated and reminded. And that's what Paul does at the beginning of this passage. He says, this same good news. Now somebody's going to have to be defended. Somebody's going to have be, to be restated. Somebody's going to have to be reconsidered. Sometimes it's going to have to be contended for. 
Now, now why, why talk about such a thing at, at Wheaton Bible? Do we have to contend for the gospel at Wheaton Bible? I want you to know that, that we have to contend for the Bible everywhere because it's easy for us to forget, and it's a stumbling block that sometimes we want to avoid. Jude says this, Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Jude only has one chapter, so it looks like Jude chapter 3. But verse chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, dear friends, uh, it says, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to urge you to contend for the faith that was once entrusted to the saints. One of the things we have to remember is that there's a natural drift among Christians away from the proclamation of the gospel. And so we have to remind ourselves, we have to preach the gospel to one another. We have to preach the gospel to to ourselves. When Wheaton Bible was founded, it was founded on gospel truth. Now it continues to spread that gospel truth. And the gospel is not like other types of knowledge that we might receive. It's not like a scientific theory whose hypotheses are tested and retested and change over time. The gospel is, the Bible says, the same good news. The same good news. Now, now it's going to be it's going to be lived out and fleshed out in different ways in different contexts. We call that contextualization. And so we're going to contextualize in certain settings. We saw on this stage just a few minutes ago missionaries from around the world who are living the implications of the gospel, addressing the real concerns of the real needs of real people in real places in real cultures, and that's called contextualization, but everyone on the stage is contending for the gospel, the faith once delivered to the saints. This same good news Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. But, so this knowledge of the gospel has been received once for all. Our understanding of it may deepen, and it should, as we grow closer to Jesus, and the Bible, I know the Bible more fully, but the gospel doesn't change. And, and there are times when, when other people are, are, are tempted. We see it in Jude or in, in Galatians. In the, to the Galatians are, are, are tempted by false teachers to receive another gospel. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 1.9. If anyone preaches any other good news other than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. So, so there will be people, and over time there's always a... There's always a push away from this true, unadulterated, unchanging gospel. Paul describes it a bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This isn't on your screen. Let me just read it for you. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, let me remind you. And this is beginning at verse 1. He says, let me remind you what this gospel is. And he, he says it's the, it's the first, it's the most important thing. This is the gospel of which you are saved in verse 2. If you hold firmly to the word I preach, otherwise you believed in vain. He says, for what I received, I passed on as of first importance. And then he explains that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. He rose again on the third day. And we're invited to believe that message. I want you not to miss that. See, the gospel's not, it's not a lot of things. It's, it, people say, well, you've got to do this. That's the gospel. We've got to live this. That's the gospel. Listen, the gospel's not you do. The gospel is Jesus did. And when Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place, when he took upon himself the penalty of our sin, we sang it a minute ago, the wrath of God was satisfied. I know that that's hard for our world to understand. That's why the Bible calls it the stumbling block of the cross. But that's the message that Wheaton Bible received, and that's the message, and that's the same good news, the 1920 that founded this church. And now, decades later, it's the same good news that goes forth from this church. Jesus said to proclaim the gospel, right? The Bible speaks of defending it. We're, we're not to be ashamed of it. It calls it a glorious gospel. In the book of Revelation, it's, it's called an everlasting gospel. So, so the gospel is not something we ever get over. It's something we live in and apply the implications in our lives every day. Sometimes it seems to me that people are like, well, I, I kind of got the gospel. I got over it. You know, if we got over the gospel, we need to get back to the beginning and realize the passion that undergirds everything that we do is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel, the gospel 
leads to the mission. That's number two in our outline today. Because it says this same good news, right? This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. So the second part of the verse, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. So Paul goes from gospel, this same good news, and then he begins to talk about the movement of the gospel. This movement's going to be key. It came to you and now going out all over the world came to you, going out all over the world. They are often linked. The gospel and the mission are often linked throughout the scriptures. The gospel leads to the mission. We have a mission-shaped gospel and a gospel-sent-shaped mission. So what we see here is they, they get the gospel, so you go, and it keeps going. You get the gospel, so you go, and, and it keeps going. But let's break that down into, into four parts here. Just this here, just kind of see. Because this same good news that came to you, it says, is going out over all the world. So it implies a few things. First, it implies someone was on mission. Someone was on mission. Somebody brought the gospel to the church there, to the Colossians in the city of Colossae. And who was that? It was Epaphras. So somebody brought the gospel here, and someone founded that church, just like somebody brought the gospel here. Now, of course, this church was founded by believers already, but, but somebody first brought the gospel to Wheaton, and then this church was formed around the heart and a passion for the gospel in, in 1920. But somebody brought the gospel later. Probably there are not a lot of people who were here in 1920, but some. But somebody brought the gospel to you. I still remember, we, I grew up, as I mentioned, in an... Irish Catholic home and outside of New York City on Long Island. And, and we really weren't Catholic. The Catholic church was the church we didn't go to on Sundays. You might recognize a church like that. And some, some church in this, just in Westbury, which is a little town next to Levittown where I, where I lived, is some church in Westbury decided in the 70s to start a, to start a bus ministry. Did you have a bus ministry here at one point, a big bus ministry here? Yes, yeah, some of you say, uh, it was kind of like a rule, man. In the 70s, if you didn't have a bus ministry, you were unholy and unrighteous. So they had a bus ministry, and it would come by, and it would go up and down the streets in Levittown. And we kind of was the hood at the time. We got it a little nicer later, but it was the hood. And, and they'd knock on doors, and people would just reject them over and over again. But they didn't know. They just, someone brought the gospel to them. They wanted to bring the gospel to somebody else. And finally, they knocked on my door, and my sister said, can I, can I go to church to my dad? She said, I don't care. I guess you can go. And so she went to church, and, and no one in our family went to church. We all made fun of her when she went to church, but she, 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 she met Jesus there riding a bus to a little church in the 70s. And then she started being changed. You're just a kid. But it intrigued my mother who went to another church and met Jesus. And then years later she'd keep working on me and I, I'd hear the gospel and I'd trust and follow Jesus. Here's the thing. Someone brought the gospel to you. But this verse something has almost a, a built-in expectation that you would be a part of bringing it to somebody else. It's implied. It says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. The same good news, you're right, you get the gospel, so you go, it keeps going. The same good news that came to you, it's going out throughout the whole world. You get the gospel, so you go, and it keeps going. See, part of the problem is, you know, a church, a church can continue that. You know, and, and your church is really, I mean, we have a, I, I lead a research team, right? So I'm the president of LifeWay Research. So we, we study thousands of churches each year and I write books on them and I go around and speak on churches. I'm kind of a motivational speaker living in a van down by the river. And, uh, um, 
But there's a technical description for churches like yours. Your church is, a, is kind of unusually large and, and just, just bizarrely involved in global missions. 27% of every, of every dollar that's given here at this church goes to something outside the church for local or global missions. And it's amazing. It's amazing. So we have a technical category. We, have, we put churches in different categories when we do research. Yours is in a file called Freakishly Abnormal. Yeah, Woo-hoo, somebody said, yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I got another file with a similar dial that's a bad kind of freakishly abnormal, but that's not the file that you're in. But here's the thing. So, so Wheaton Bible Church has decided, right, that they get the gospel, someone brought the gospel, so, so now you go, and it keeps going and going and going, and that's why we had all these families across the stage. What a powerful picture. And here's the thing. I want to sort of just stand up and say, this is a big deal. You guys are out there looking, yeah, all the missionary families, yay, we love them, let's pray for them. You ought to be going, yay, look at all the families that are missionaries from this church. It's freakishly abnormal. What a blessing of God to be a part of a church that's sending people around the world to spread the name and fame of Jesus. That's what you should have done before. That was my medicine-laden rebuke to you. Um, but here's the deal. It's not just a church function. It's a personal function. As you get the gospel, well, for me it was in 1977, I, so you go, and it keeps on going. You see, Wheaton Bible Church has chosen not to be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. The question you have to ask is, are you a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway? Did someone bring the gospel to you and then it ended? Or have you brought it to someone else? Brought it to someone else? Romans 10, 14 and 15 says it this way. It says, how then will they call on one whom they have not believed in? How then can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear him without somebody preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I, I wish we could have had all the missionaries take their shoes off. And you could admire the awesomeness of their feet. <laughs> and you're like, really? That's kind of gross. Um, no, the Bible says those are, those are some beautiful feet. The question is, is are my feet beautiful? Are, are your feet beautiful? Because they, they bring good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Right? We get the gospel, so you go, and the gospel keeps going. You get the gospel, so you go, and the gospel keeps going. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the whole world. Someone was on a mission, brought the gospel to you. Will you be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway? So what's the mission? This is how you get beautiful feet. Well, Jesus' mission is our mission. So this good news comes to us, right? Both the gospel itself and their implications of that gospel, that the good news comes to you, so now going out over the whole world. So this, this mission is Jesus' mission, is our mission. Notice the, notice the movement in the mission, right? Epaphras has, has told Paul about their faith. Epaphras founds the, the Colossian church, and Paul wants to give thanks. He gives thanks to them for receiving and speaks about the sending out the gospel. They were both recipients and sort of being applied that they would be senders. Now, it's interesting. It's actually not specifically stated. It says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It doesn't say, and you should be going out with it. It's sort of implied. And, and when I read it, I sort of sing like an implied hint. An implied hint. It's sort of like when my, my wife says to me when I, when I get on the elliptical, she says, man, I think it's really good that you're exercising. You know what that means? Do it more. Right? 
And I get that. I receive that. And so when, when Paul's writing and he says, the same good news came to you as going out over the world, there's an implied participation in the mission of Jesus that Jesus makes explicit in John 20, 21. Here's what Jesus says. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So Jesus says, as God has sent me, if you're a disciple and a follower of Jesus, he says, I am sending you. So Jesus has actually invited you to participate, to join in his mission. You have been sent by Jesus. You are to live on mission. You say, does that mean I'm a missionary? Well, I mean, sometimes people say every Christian's a missionary. I tend not to, but every Christian's to live on mission. And that might include you crossing cultures. It might include you responding to a call to vocational cross-cultural missions. But here's what I want you to consider. I want you to hear the words of Jesus who says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And then you say to the Lord, Here I am, Lord, send me. That's what Isaiah said when encountering God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6. Here I am, Lord, send me. You say, Well, where would he send me? Well, I don't know. I know he'll send you to your neighbor. I, I know he'll send you to your coworker. I know he'll send you to your family member. I know he'll send you to the hurting. I know he'll send you to those who are without. He might send you to the hurting and without in Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia. He might send you to the Quechua in the highlands of Peru. He might send you to the Iban in Malaysia. I don't know where he will send you, but I know he has sent you. And I know the call and the response to his sending is to say, here I am, Lord, send me. So you put your yes on the table. Let God put it on the map. And then in obedience to him, you go where he calls and do what he calls you to do. Now, what will he call us to do? Well, Jesus came primarily doing many things, but two things, we might put them into two big categories. He came serving the hurting. In Luke chapter 4, we don't have time to turn to it. In Luke chapter 4, he lays out and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. to the, He goes to the poor and the captive. And, and, and then we see in James and other places, the widow and the orphan, which are really just, just categories of the marginalized and the hurting. Jesus sends his people to care for the hurting. Jesus came serving the hurting. That's not the only thing Jesus came to do. Jesus came saving the lost. So in Luke 19.10, Luke 4, talks about the hurting, serving the hurting. Luke 19.10, he says, I came to seek and save the lost. And so when Christians join Jesus on his mission, they end up in ministries that serve the hurting and save the lost. Which, not surprisingly, looks a lot like this. And you can look and see, and so what, what do we have here? We have, we have people who are, who are ministering to the hurting, uh, administer justice, legal assistance to those in need, uh, adoption and big buddies and care net and, 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 and support for the elderly and hunger. And I go through all these, and I apologize, I can't for the sake of time, because they're all worthy of mention. But more than being mentioned, they're worthy of participation because Jesus came serving the hurting. And I still think the world is stunned that one of the few things they know about Jesus is he cared about the hurting, and sometimes churches seem unconcerned about the very hurting that Jesus cared about. So we join Jesus on his mission, and we serve the hurting, but he's saving the lost. And so we see things like campus ministry, and we see things like planting churches, and training leaders, and discipling believers so that they might live as agents of God's mission in a broken and lost world. Jesus came, the gospel, we get the gospel, so you go, telling it. And living out its implications. We call that showing and sharing the love of Jesus. 
Showing by living out the gospel's implications, by caring for the hurting. Sharing by announcing the good news of the gospel. You get the gospel, so you go, and it keeps going. See, we're, we're sent on mission. Thirdly, we're sent on mission. See, we have to own and identify as God's sent people. We don't come here to, be, to receive religious goods and services distributed well by the pastors and the staff of Wheaton Bible Church. That's not our purpose. This is not a, this is not a store. This is not, well, I kind of like the music, and so I kind of like, like the preaching. I have good programs for my kids. No, we don't do that. We're not customers of the religious goods and services at Wheaton Bible Church. We're co-laborers of the gospel under the equipping of Wheaton Bible Church. And that's a, that's a big difference. And I will tell you something, the, the better your church is, the more customers it attracts. And you can end up with a room full of consumers of religious goods and services who don't want to be co-laborers in the gospel, but you have to be reminded again and again that we're sent on mission to show and share the love of Jesus. See, again, again it's the reminder, the passage here is, they get the gospel, so you go, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So you go, and it keeps going. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it speaks of our new role because of this. Right here and around the world, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It says, God made him who, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's the great exchange, by the way, verse 21, that... His righteousness is exchanged for our sinfulness, the great exchange. It's a powerful thing, and it's one of the reasons that we can live on mission. It's interesting, when you look at the passage, let's put the passage back up on the screen for just a second. If you look at the actual passage, it's kind of the first part doesn't relate seemingly to the second part. Because the first part... He talks about being Christ's ambassadors, and Paul's talking about himself and the band of leaders that he's with, but I think it's applicable to all that we are Christ's ambassadors, representing Jesus and his kingdom. It says, though God were making his appeal through us, we implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And it's as if Paul got up, came back a little bit later on, and finished this sentence or this paragraph with something else. And it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God in him. But he didn't. He didn't. He, he didn't step away and rewrite. Here, 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 here's what happens. One directly and powerfully relates to the other. And here, here's one way that I try to remember this. I, 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 um, I grew up, as I mentioned, on Long Island outside of New York City. I was a city boy. My wife, nickname for me is City Boy. And um, now I live in Tennessee, so I'm, I'm fixing to fit in. And... Uh, Sometimes I say, well, you got a problem with that? Uh, you know, my, my dad really talks like this. It's, I, I really decided to lose this accent because it's very irritating to go around preaching at people's churches like this. You know, the two youths, and it would just be very irritating. Um, we call me Eddie, my cousin Eddie. Uh, the, so, but when I was a kid, we moved to Florida because uh, New York City sort of went bankrupt, and they didn't, like, print more money then. They just went bankrupt. And so we... Uh, <laughs> In hindsight, I should have said that. So we moved to Florida. Um, big headline, Ford the City dropped dead. So we moved to Florida and uh, started over. And my grandfather was already there. He was kind of a slum lord. I don't come from a Christian family. So he, was kind of, he owned some slum houses. And, um, and so he bought one, and we moved into this house. So my dad got started. My dad went back to college and, you know, at 30-something, just started all over. He was a Union Iron Lather. You know, he helped build the World Trade Center. So we moved into this house, and the house is such bad shape. It doesn't have a door. I mean, which technically makes it a cave, not even a house. 
You have to have a door to qualify as a house. So we get in, chase out a few animals, we start working on the house, and uh, we, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's in, the, it's in like an orange grove, no air conditioning, the only house in the Orlando area without air conditioning, built on blocks, all nine yards. And um, one day, all of the plumbing backed up. Everything, of all the plumbing backed up the same day. It only wasn't a lot. Too. You master bathroom, uh, our bathroom for the three kids, and then the kitchen sink. And we had all plumbing back up. I mean, where I'm, you know, where I'm from, you know, goes, something happens, and you, you use a plunger at the sink or whatever, and now it's all backed up. So my dad calls my grandfather and says, hey, you've got to get down here and fix this. And they had a fight on the phone. I could hear it. And he calls back about 20 minutes and, call, and says, can I talk to Eddie? That's what they called me, and you may not. And... Uh, Eddie, can you come out and help? And I said, sure. And so I negotiated a fee. I think I was getting 10 bucks, and we were going to go fix something. I didn't know what it was. They didn't tell me any details other than my grandfather said, we're going to dig up something in the yard. And I said, that is awesome. I mean, what kid doesn't? I mean, you know, I'm from, you know, everything I grew up with was like concrete. We didn't get to dig. And so, so I mean, I'm all excited. My grandfather shows up 20 minutes later in his big red Cadillac, so stereotypical. He's got this long iron rod, and I got this shovel. And we go to this particularly lush area of the backyard. I was like, this is so cool. And he says, and he's smiling. He's got this grin on his face. We're going to dig up something in the backyard. I'm like, yes, we are. And so he finds a spot, and I start digging. And I don't go much deeper, and, and, and I strike something, and it's a, it's a box. And I'm so excited. There's a, there's a box of treasure hidden in my yard. I mean, I can't, I mean, the enthusiasm growing. My grandfather just got this grin, and he keeps laughing, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the best money you've ever earned. I'm like, yeah. And so I sort of clear this box, and, and he's, like, still got this grin. He's like, okay, you open it. He gives me this. And he's got this grin, and, he, and I didn't know, because, you know, we were Irish, so we had two emotions, drunk and sleepy. And so I didn't really know, you know, what it was, what was going on. And so, so I, take the, I take the little iron rod, and I sort of get this little notch in the front, and I lift up the cover with such enthusiasm, and as I lift, it kind of slides and lifts at the same time, and sweet mother of pearl. <laughs> it's, a, it's a box of poop in the yard. Can I, can I say that? I'm not sure of the rules here. Um, probably should have asked. That's Greek for something intense. Um, and I'm like, I'm like looking at this, and my grandfather's laughing. He's like, ah, it's your family. And I'm like, I don't care if it's the Queen of England. It's poop in the yard. And just imagine if you grew up and you have no concept of what a septic tank is. So all I know is that somebody years ago has dug and buried a box in my yard. Ponce de Leon, for all I know. And he's laughing. And he says, we've got to unclog it. And I said, we? And so I, I started to try to unclog it. And I couldn't really get the angle. And I sort of had to lean over the edge of the box of my family. And, uh, and I took the iron rod, and, and my job was to sort of get where it comes in and sort of see if they could maybe yank something out. <laughs> and, uh, and I couldn't get it. So he says, well, let me, let me hold your shirt. You can lean a little, little farther. And he starts shaking <laughs> he thinks it's the funniest thing. <laughs> Don't fall in, he says. And I do. Yeah. It's a true story. It's not a preacher story. It's a true story. And I'm standing up to my knees in my family. And it is the most horrendous, horrible moment of my life. To this day, to this day, I carry um, hand sanitizer. Uh, <laughs> No reason, but I just, even telling this story, I, I just, don't mind me. All right. So, 
So they take me out and they actually, they wash me off with tomato juice. I'm not sure I wasn't joining a cult ritual or something. I don't know what it was. And it was really, I mean, it was up to my knees because some are really deep, but the water table in Florida is shallow. But here's the deal. At that moment, it was the most disgusting moment of my life. And I knew, oh gosh. But you know, when I looked at this passage, let's put that 2 Corinthians passage back up. It says, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. I, I think of the moment I'm standing in filth. And then I think about the God of all the universe, holy and sinless, born Jesus the Christ, lived a sinless life. Sees the impact, the, the filth of sin all around and the destruction that sin caused, but is, a, but is not a sinner. But then on the cross, as he's dying in my place, he's not just dying for my sin, not just dying standing in my sin in its place, not up to the knees in my sin, not immersed in my sin and the filth of my sin, but he's nailed to the cross naked and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken you? Because at that moment, the the Bible says he becomes my sin. So he's not a sinner, but he dies a sinner's death. And if I react so strongly to the standing in human filth, I see the love and the enormity and the magnitude of the perfect God of all the universe becoming sin for us. And then verse 21 makes sense of verse 20. See, I can be an ambassador for Christ as though God is making his appeal through us. I implore on his behalf, be reconciled to God. Why? Because he, God, made the one who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. And so don't miss this. I get the gospel. So I go and I tell and I show and I share and it keeps on going. And it changes the way I think because now I'm an ambassador. And then I think of your church. I just so want to encourage you because you support 91 couples and singles serving in over 40 countries on six continents with $1.3 million annual investment. Week in and week out, 20 cents, 27 cents in every dollar, week in and week out, goes to, on mission to reach the world. This month, you invested $15,000 to feed and reach out to Syrian refugees. This year, 20000 relief assistance to the persecuted church in South Asia. This summer, four new missionary units sent to Germany, Mexico, the Philippines, and Turkey. Ten young adults participating in hands-on cross-cultural training program called Move In. Invested 100000 this year with Hope Kenya, partnering toward transforming communities together. Three GO teams visiting Kenya. Go team supported move missionaries reaching Muslim immigrants in France and in Spain. In 2013, 180 youth and adults took place in 15 separate one to two week mission trips all over. This is the passion of Wheaton Bible. Get the gospel so you go and it keeps going. But the question is, will you be a part of the passion that's evidenced here? Or will you be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway? Will you say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me? Or will you get the gospel? So you go. So it keeps going. See, ultimately, finally, the mission will be completed. It says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and the end will come. The only question is whether or not I will personally participate in it because I realize the enormity of what Jesus has done for me. Now I need to close because our time is short. You know what it means when a guest speaker says, let me close with this? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but number three and finally, the result. See, this has already taken place in your church, but so much more it could be if there were less consumers and more co-laborers on the mission. 
says it's, it's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Amazing things going on at Wheaton Bible. Honored to be a part of it. Your church is going out with the gospel. It's reaching the world and it's bearing fruit. God is changing lives through local and global ministry. Listen, changing lives because of changed lives. Changing lives because of changed lives. See, I don't want you to miss this passage. This passage is implying something that I don't want us to miss. We can see it more clearly even in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. It says this. It says, and all this is a gift from God. It said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so we've been reconciled, given the ministry of reconciliation. Did, 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 did you see that? Don't, don't miss that. You get the gospel, so you go, and it keeps going. We've been reconciled, so we become agents of reconciliation. That God was, we, we now have been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against him, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. You get the gospel, so you go, and it keeps going individually and congregationally. Don't let your life be a cul-de-sac on the Great Commission Highway. Today, my encouragement to you again is to know this treasure that you've been given. Maybe you're like the American Pickers. Maybe you know about the great treasure. Or maybe you're like some of those that said, you know what, I've just, I've become complacent. I've become a customer. I'm thankful for all the things. I come to Wheaton Bible and I'm blessed. But I've forgotten this great treasure that I have been given. Let me say to you, the call that Christ has on your life and mine is to say, here I am, Lord, send me. You can give, you can pray, you can go, you can serve, you can tell. But as you get the gospel, the pattern is so you go, and the gospel keeps going. Pray with me. Father, by your grace and your goodness, you've redeemed us and called us by name and then sent us on mission for your name's sake. And Lord, I pray that you might continue to remind us of the great treasure we have in the gospel at the beginning here of Colossians 1.6. But then as we get the gospel and we are reminded again of the wonder and the joy that it has to have new life in Christ, that we, we want to live out its implications. We want to show and share the love of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. Father, I pray for men and women here maybe who have not yet received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you might draw them to yourself, that by grace and through faith they might call upon your name and ask for your forgiveness and trust and follow you. Father, I pray for those who have been born again, that the gospel has brought to them, just as Epaphras brought the gospel to Colossae. I pray that in light of that, we might recognize with joy the participation we have in the gospel spreading and living out its implications. And ultimately, we will now know that it will continue to spread throughout the whole earth. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen.